0: I won't say you and I go toe-to-toe on bird law and see who comes out the victim? This is an open-and-shut case, and anybody who can't see that is a savage and an idiot! And I'm not saying I agree with it, it's just that bird law in this country, it's not governed by reason. There's no such thing as bird yes, law. Yes, Barry! I'm just the best bird lawyer in the world. You're not my representative. I will be talking for myself. Bird law? Hello and welcome to the Bird Law Podcast. I'm Rusty Grapple. My co-host is with me, Adam Butler. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can find it on Twitter at BirdLaw Pod. You can find me on Twitter at He's Very Good. And you can find Adam at Lance Dance One.
1: What all you want to talk about?
0: So they're are- Somehow, only still three and a half games out of the division. Because nobody's, yeah. nobody's running away with it. Um, the 10-game road trip started off 0-3 in Wrigley Field. And so, that meant the Cubs started their last 10 games 3-0. And yet, despite all that, both teams are 5-5 five and five in their last 10. So, the Cubs ended up gaining <laughs> no ground after, after that. So... Um, i i don't know it's it's still just (laughs) despite them not playing that well they're still right in the thick of things which means if they address some issues they should be fine yeah like you know standings wise they're in fine shape it's just a matter of cleaning up everything on the field and you know continuing to get wins um Good chance to continue doing that with four games against the Marlins. Uh, You should win at least three of those. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to complain about them winning five of the last, what, seven games on the road trip. But, I mean, there were still some things that clearly aren't quite right. I mean, they won yesterday, only getting three hits for the game take the win, but, you know, it's still kind of the same Same issues are showing themselves with a, a pretty modest offensive output there.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It feels like, almost to me, like, it's kind of the opposite problem of the last couple of years. It was like, they were, it seemed like the last couple of years they were a pretty good team, but there were just aspects of the game that like, you know, the base running and the defense that were just holding them back from getting wins. This year's kind of the opposite. I feel like, I feel like the the base running and defense have been really solid, but they just haven't um, been playing as well. That um, you know, they haven't had the offense, the pitching has been so sporadic and uh, you know, I, I, I agree. I think especially now they have this, this stretch against a bunch of teams under 500, um, they need to use that to, you know, the, the perfect scenario would be they use that to get themselves within a game or two. And uh, the front office is actually aggressive after that and plug some of the holes on the roster.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That would be ideal. Uh, the way that Mo talks, it's like the next, basically the next month is the real, like at which which the whole season's an evaluation, but the next month is like where they focus on um, and figure out where they're going to focus their scouting leading up to the deadline. And then the middle of July is when they really send people out and and figure out what they want to do uh, when the trade deadline comes around. So it's definitely a big month um, for guys on the team to either prove that they don't need to be replaced or for the team to figure out what changes can be made to, to push them to the playoffs uh, obviously um, one thing I mean something that has to happen is just the good players need to be the good players Matt Carpenter needs to, to be himself Paul Goldschmidt needs to be himself that way. I mean, that would go a long way towards helping the offense, uh, but there's still going to be moves to be made. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I heard Dan McLaughlin. Goughlin. I always say his name wrong for some reason. Anyway, um, it seems like every time I tune into a game, he's talking about how Goldschmidt is, is close. He's so close, and this has been like three weeks of every time I turn on the game. He's talking about how close Goldschmidt is, and he just has yet to really break out. I mean, he hit a home run yesterday, which is great, but he's still not hitting it. It's It was only his fifth extra base hit since April, so that's not good. Um, something interesting that I saw, I think it was Patrick Bauer on Twitter, did a side-by-side of his uh, launch angle charts from last year and this year, and there's just like this tavern between 15 degrees and 20 roughly 25 degrees where he's got like no batted balls in that in that range where last year he had a lot of that's where most of his batted balls were and that's why he was racking up doubles so that's kind of an interesting thing I don't know you know that seems like something that would be mechanics or just him just being a little bit off Uh, but that's kind of an interesting visual that tells you why he's not getting the doubles. He's just simply not hitting it at the angle to, to do that. Uh, he's hitting it on the ground or he's hitting fly balls or he's hitting straight line drives. He's got a lot of hits at like uh, zero to five degrees, but um, I don't know. It, that's interesting. Him getting going to go a long way, but then obviously there are more moves that can be made.
1: The thing I noticed with Goldschmidt, I think, is just, uh, and you've probably noticed it too, is that it seems like he's always uh, hitting with a two-strike approach. It's like he gets himself down in the count almost immediately every at-bat. And, uh, you you know, I think that might be part of it. He's not, you know, in a a spot where he can hunt a pinch to drive, and he's just trying to, you know, put a decent ball in play and not strike out. Um, But would be yeah. Other than that, it would have to be something mechanical. But um, I actually I have their no, like all their, their hitters' individual numbers over the last thirty days pulled up, and uh, the top three are who you would expect: Ozuna, Carpenter, and Goldschmidt. But the only one that has truly good numbers is Ozuna. My like WRC plus Ozuna is at one thirty nine. Like you'd take that all day, but. Carpenter's is the second best on the team at 113 goldschmidt's at 103 and those are the only three hitters that have been above average in the past 30 days so that's concerning um paul DeYoung's young's obviously been turning it around a little bit lately maybe that was just the mets because he crushes them but um not really concerned with him but yeah it's just there's just not quite enough offense and um you know we've always said when you need offense you could plug jose martinez in there and he's been Terrible over the last 30 days, you know, I don't have concerns about him, but it hasn't worked. It's just it's just not enough hitting
0: Yeah um, You're right and so I mean where, where do you go there? I mean a guy that you've you've uh, texted me about uh, Is Whit Merrifield and how he I mean, he's just a solid all-around player And he's got positional versatility that would allow you to keep him in the lineup Um, Without and and also still working like your fourth and fifth outfielders to get at bats for like Jose Martinez or or whatever kind of platoon situation you would have going on with with Fowler and Bader or or whatever the case might be. Um, So I don't know. you want to talk a little bit more about him?
1: Yeah, I think he's just the perfect fit. Uh, He can, you know, like we've talked about it on here, you know, I think we'd both like to see Carpenter um, hit a little, you know, second or third or even fifth. I don't do not really care. But uh, somewhere a little bit lower in the order where, um, you know, and you could plug Merrifield in there at leadoff because I, I don't want to move Carpenter if it comes at the expense of the leadoff position because I think that's the most important spot in the lineup. But, um, you know, you'd be able to plug Merrifield in there. He can play sec- – I think he's, he's primarily a second baseman, but he does play a lot of outfield. Um, I don't think that would be a concern. He's played some third base. I mean, I imagine you could stick him at first if you needed to. Probably wouldn't need to with this team, but um, I think he can play either right or left. So I think that's, you know, we, we've talked about how it's, you know, it looks you look at the offense and it's kind of set in place, but getting a guy that can play multiple positions and be like an everyday force in your lineup um, I think is probably the easiest way to upgrade now trading for Whitmer or is not exactly easy. He's um, cost controlled for I think three more years with a, an option for a fourth um, and he's really good. So he's going to be expensive. Uh, but I think that's um, the type of move they need to be looking at. You know, he's um, I don't know how like him being in the American league. I don't know how many fans know a whole lot about him, but he's kind of, um it's kind of just what Ben Zobrist was in his prime uh which is a player that's always appealed to me I, I think um a lot of fans too really
0: yeah I think he'd be a good fit I mean he adds to the base running aspect that they've had they've been doing a good job with this year he, he's got 11 steals he stole 45 last year and 34 the year before that um He's got some modest power. He had 12 home runs last year. He's got eight so far this year. His career high was 19. Um, But, I mean, he's just a solid hitter. He's going to hit around 300 with a a 350 to 360 on base and, uh, you know, a slug about 460 to 490, somewhere in there. I mean, it's just a good player overall and and like you were saying he he would fit in at the top of the lineup really well and allow you to do some other things with your other guys and and maybe get a more consistent more productive overall offense but yeah he's he's definitely interesting he would he would be costly but i mean this is where you can actually use this depth that they that they brag about so often um that they have over the last few years have let sit around and lose value and then traded it at its lowest point um, they need to stop doing that and actually move the depth when they are valuable and maybe you do give up a guy that ends up being good that's just the the cost there um, but that's i think that's better than trading a guy at his lowest point and then watching it be good and not having much return so I, I mean, I would take I would take watching Randy or Rosarena or somebody blossom in Kansas City um, while we have four years of Whit Merrifield. I mean, I think that's that's a fair trade off there, uh, as opposed to waiting around or you know, as opposed to trading Luke Voigt for relief pitchers. You know, that's that's the example or or uh, Tommy Pham for. Uh, basically Henesis uh, Cabrera I mean that's that's the other side of that coin so I don't know right I don't if know they have they have to change course and actually be aggressive which is something they haven't done in the last few years but um, that's definitely a route that that would make a whole lot of sense
1: yeah if the players you get actually pan out it, it doesn't really uh, matter as much who you gave up unless you give up like a hall of famer that would sting. But I don't mm-hmm. see that happening with anybody that they could potentially trade away. Um, and, you know, it, it feels like, you know, a couple things I think are going to have to happen. This deadline we texted about, it, and we can talk about it a little bit later, but I think Jed Jerko's going to have to be moved. Um, and then, you know, and he wouldn't make sense for Kansas city, but in this scenario, but then I think they have to figure out something with Tyler O'Neill, whether that's trading him while they still can, or it's trading Bader and using like an O'Neill and Fowler platoon in center field, um, or, you know, I, I don't know, but he is just like, it's like you can watch his value tanking every day that he's just sitting in AAA, and he deserves to be on a major league roster somewhere, and yeah. uh, it's, you know, it's I don't even think you can make a strong argument that you know, Ozuna's is obviously better than him, but the other three, I don't think you could make a strong argument are better than
0: him anyway. Yeah, he's um, he's the prime example of hanging on to the depth until it, and then trading it at its lowest point. Um, because he is he's just he's just wasting away. I mean, I know he's his numbers have really cooled off at AAA lately. Um, part of that might just be frustration of. Absolutely lighting the world on fire for a few weeks, and then still being in AAA. Um, I don't know. You know, that's that's a that's another side of the of the uh, equation. Uh, you know, the mental side of it. But uh, he definitely doesn't need to be at AAA. He's he's better than that. And yet they're going to bring up uh, Ron Hel Ravello instead. They're going to add him to the 40-man roster and then and then bring him up to sit on the bench, basically, uh, as opposed to bringing in Tyler O'Neill. So I, I don't even know I don't even know what they're doing anymore. But um, especially with O'Neill, I have no idea. Uh, but they need to do something, and and maybe trading him is is the best thing to do.
1: Yeah, and you think that would be you know, you're not going to get Maryfield from straight up. You think that'd be a really good place to start, you know, a, a promising outfielder, whether that's whether that's Bader or O'Neill. I think that's a, a strong um, first piece in, in any trade idea.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely a good place to start. Uh, then And then, like you mentioned, uh, Jed Jerko is a guy that they're probably going to have to clear off the roster. And maybe you don't even wait. Around till July that might be something that you try to do a little bit earlier um, I really think that their plan was to trade Jerko in spring training uh, But then he was hurt so he really didn't have any value I, I think the whole idea Was that they were just gonna they weren't gonna trade him in the offseason nobody was gonna take on his salary um, but if they wait till spring then somebody might have a need pop up. They could maybe eat $4 million. I mean, with the Padres paying $5 million, uh, whoever got him would only be paying him $4 million for this year. So it would have been a pretty reasonable uh, salary thing. Uh, But then he was out most of spring training. So he had no value there. Uh, Didn't get traded because he wasn't healthy. Then he started off the year and just, struggled out of the gate for most of April. And then when he started to finally hit again, uh, Carpenter was banged up and then he had that uh, small injury, which he, he didn't really agree with going on the DL when he did. But the fact that Carpenter was banged up at the same time, I think is what pushed them to make that move uh, to get Tommy Edmund up here as, uh, as some backup on the infield. But, Yeah, Jerko probably needs to be moved because he just doesn't fit with this roster. I mean, you've got Wong at second, who you're not going to move off of second base. You're not going to give him that many days off in general. Um, You're not going to give Carpenter days off at third. I mean, there's really not any place for for Jerko to get starts and get at bats. And he's not that good of a pinch hitter uh, in his career, so just coming off the bench in that way is not maximizing his value. He's really best served as as a guy who can start 3 to 4 times a week and you get 400 450 at bats and there you know I, I, there's like a sweet spot with him. If you get if you play him too much, you're probably not going to get the best version and if you play him too little, you're not going to get the best version of him. So uh, right now, they're definitely not getting top value from Jericho.
1: No, and he's unfortunately probably not worth much uh, on the trade market either. I think, you know, best case scenario, you're hoping for like a Chase and Shreve type of lefty that, um, you know, isn't isn't going to dominate, but has a little bit of um, you know, you can see some upside there. Like, it might be a bad example because it obviously didn't work out with Chase and Shreve, But at the time of that trade, there was reason to think um, he could improve coming over to St. Louis. But um, you know, I think that would be the high end of what you could get. You know, it's, more realistically, you're probably just looking at a prospect that slots into like, you know, your number twenty overall prospect or something. But it's. You know, it just seems like he's unhappy with what's going on. And, I mean, for good reason, but at the same time, kind of just is what it is. It's just really not playing time for him unless somebody gets hurt.
0: Right. And, and even
1: even then, they've got other replacements. so
0: Right. And, and like you said, you know, talking about Kansas City, they wouldn't be a fit for him because they're not a contending team. They're not going to take on a guy that's going to cost him four to anywhere from, you know, I'm just... Guessing that maybe they would eat half of his salary, but he, you know, could cost him up to eight million dollars, which whatever's remaining, so about six million dollars. Um, but there are several contending teams that have gotten really bad production out of second base or third base. Uh, <laughs> number one on the list is Cleveland, who Kipnis is pretty much toast offensively. And Jose Ramirez has been bad, but, and, and even if they, uh, you know, they could always move Kipnis to the outfield because their outfield situation is pretty bleak as well. Uh, Cleveland would definitely be a team that I would dangle him to and just see uh, what, what they would offer or what, you know, what they'd be interested in giving up. Uh, The Rockies have had bad second base production. There, there's, Another handful of uh, you know good teams out there, um, but those are those are two that I would maybe take a look at first. But th- my point, mostly being that there are some options to move him. You're not necessarily handcuffed. You should probably be able to find somebody that's willing to take him.
1: Yeah, I think. It's kind of like a Matt Adams situation um, from a few years ago. That's probably the kind of move they're looking at. They could also do something where, you know, he's got that. uh, um, What am I trying to say here? Oh, so he's got the $13 million option for next season that looks unlikely to be picked up. You know, they could. It it happened with Nicole Hamill's trade where, like, they can ride it into the trade where. yeah, the Cardinals will cover the $1 million buyout, but if yeah. the team that trade him to picks up the option and they're on the hook for all $13 million, Yeah, you know, I think that would be something they could do. Um, the, you know, It doesn't seem like at $13 million that's going to get picked up for him unless he has a monster second half somewhere. But yeah, I think it's unfortunate because jerko's a real easy guy to root for, but it just it, it seems to be going that way. Um how, uh, how far out would they have to be for you to not want them to buy?
0: Um, I don't know. We're probably talking six, seven. I mean, six or seven, eight games at the end of July would be pretty significant. Um, I mean, any, anything over six when you're getting down to the last two months is, is pretty iffy. Uh, a lot of it would have to, I guess... I don't know. I guess a lot would depend on what the other teams were doing. Like, but I don't know. If you're if you're six games out and you're in second place, maybe that's and and there's you're hanging in the wild card race. I don't know. That's there's a lot of there's a lot of aspects. Now I'm now I'm throwing all kinds of qualifiers on it. <laughs> um, but I don't know. If if you're within like five of the wild card and maybe six of the division and you you know you don't have like six teams to try to jump over. Um, then I, you know I'm fine with pushing the chips in. really I'm fine with just pushing the chips in because I, I feel like they'll still they'll be in that range anyway, but um, if you get to like seven or eight out in either either category, then then maybe it isn't worth it at that point. Yeah, that's about where I'm at
1: too. I think you you got to be pretty significantly out of it. I think because it just it seems like uh, that buying in season is cheaper than it's ever been, and, and I'm curious. I am curious to see if that changes this season with the uh, um, waiver deadline being gone and just the single deadline, at, you know, on July 31st. Um, but I think you know if you go out and get a couple rentals you know a, a, like a, a let's just throw out names like a bum and maybe a second lefty um if you were to do that like i don't think it's going to cost you anything you're going to regret um you know it might cost you a, a decent major leaguer that you know has a like a three to four year run or something but it seems unlikely to cost you anything more than that. And, uh, it, even if you miss the playoffs, I don't think you're going to really regret trying for it. Cause like last, last couple of seasons we've seen, they haven't gone for it and they've just missed. And it's been the most frustrating thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It really has. Uh, like the, the, Uh, 2017, whenever the only in-season move they made was for Juan Casio, and that came in September when he wouldn't have even been playoff eligible. Yeah. And they they ended up what one or two games out of the wild card, something like that. So that year they might have been a little further out, but um, I think that but they were still within like four games uh, at one at maybe at the end of the year I think they were four games out of the wild card so it was like within the realm of possibility that they could have made a run but they didn't make any moves so that that was a strange season and a really passive approach that hopefully they will change in this year and
1: I know we've talked about it but it's just it's not even it's just the lack of a decision in one way or the other that annoys me so much like if they felt like they needed to sell what they've, you know, sell Ozuna and do whatever else, I might like, not be the happiest with it, but at least that's action in a direction that helps them in the future, you know, it's not this whole being stuck in the middle of um, not good enough to buy and not good enough to sell is what's, or not bad enough to sell is what's so annoying to me, because you don't gain any ground this year, you don't gain any ground in the future, you've just you're just stagnant, and it's the worst place you can be in baseball. And they've let themselves be there for five years now.
0: Yeah. And yeah. And, or like selling Tommy Pham, but not trading off Bud Norris. Yeah. Uh, and Bud Norris literally like cost them three games in August last year or September last year, whenever it was when he had that terrible week where he, he literally lost them about three games. Uh, it would have would have saved you a lot of heartbreak if you would have just traded him. But uh, yeah, that 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 indecision, that being in between, uh, that is just really frustrating and annoying. You're either going for it or you're not. Um, and uh, I saw. Uh, I mean, there's there's the thinking that they they play the long game. But then you look at some of the things that happen, like shuffling center fielders every eight months, um, and that doesn't seem like a team that actually has a clear, like three to five year plan on what they're wanting to do. It's just like the next guy comes along and they they go with that hot guy, and then uh, then he turns into a he turns into a pumpkin, and uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> A pumpkin. <laughs> I said, "Hot guy." <laughs> Let me breathe. It's funny because on um, on the fast lane, every now and then they'll play these like out of context clips of uh, Demarco Farr. And uh, one of them, he's like, "I'm not afraid to ride a hot guy." <laughs> and, and I don't know. I, I started thinking about that, and uh, I couldn't hold my composure. <laughs>
1: I thought oh, you were laughing because he said pumpkin. I was like, man, it wasn't that
0: funny. <laughs> no, no, I know that's why I had to. Uh, besides the fact that I was losing it, I had to stop and explain what happened. Uh, anywho, so yeah, that the uh, the indecision is uh, it's frustrating. But uh, I I don't know. Talking about the trade deadline, a guy that is begging for them to go after is Will Smith with uh san francisco because he's just so dominant and they need another lefty and if you had him and miller from the left side in the bullpen that's that's the stuff that playoffs are made of um but like you were saying buying in season how much can san francisco reasonably ask for a guy that's going to be a free agent in two months and he's a relief pitcher I mean, yes, he's insanely good, but how much can they legitimately ask for? You might have to pay a little extra to beat somebody else's offer, but, or, you know, to entice them to take your offer over someone else's. But, uh, there's, there's kind of like a limit on, on how much can really be, you know, on what the cost really can be for, for something like that.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the, the way I kind of look at it is they've, there's three places where they could definitely um, use an upgrade. You know, one's obviously the rotation, um, and then they need a second lefty for the bullpen, and as we were talking about earlier, they could use an extra bat in some way, and uh, ideally they would be able to address all three of those. That's probably unrealistic, but if they address two of those things with actual impact, I think that would be enough. And, and Will Smith is definitely a way to do that in the bullpen. That would be an absolute force out there with, you know, having Hicks, Smith, Miller, uh, Brevia, Gant, Martinez. That's, that's dirty. That's about as good of a bullpen as you can get. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's certainly one way to do that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, I, I hope they address that second lefty in, in some way, you know, even if it's not Will Smith like that, that's a cheap place to upgrade um, you, you know, we see him do it all the time. We saw him do it with Zach Duke a few years ago and um, He didn't, he cost Charlie Tilson and like who cares, you know uh, right. so You know, Will Smith is gonna cost a little bit more than that um, You know, he might cost you that a Rosa Reina or something Maybe that's a little high. I don't know. I'm having a hard time with that right now. But uh, yeah, that that would be um, some serious impact, and um, would take a lot of pressure off of the um, off of the rotation because you know six inning you get six innings, you're probably gonna win with that bullpen.
0: Yeah, and the other, I mean, San Francisco is really the place to look because. If you don't get Will Smith, they also have Tony Watson, who just keeps being this really, really solid left-handed reliever. Uh, He's, I mean, he's not as good as Will Smith, but he's better than most left-handed relievers out there. Uh, And he's under contract for another season, so he he might—I don't know—he might cost you uh, like the same as Will Smith. Like Smith will cost you because he's so good. Uh, Watson will cost you because he's got the extra year. Uh, but I can't imagine them being too far apart on on what it would cost to acquire them. Really, I really would like to see the Cardinals get one of those two guys because I think it would go a long way uh, on, on making this just a really good bullpen because and making the bullpen a strength of the team because Tyler Webb is just it's just so bland. And I'm just I'm just I'm over it, man. I wanted to root for the guy. Like in the off season I kept looking at his numbers and thinking, man, maybe maybe he's something. Maybe he'll be like I don't know, like a Tyler Lyons type. And not just because of their first name. Um but he's just I don't know, he's just nothing. He's just like nothing special at all uh and like uh you were you were talking to me about it it seems like he's got this knack for only pitching well when there's absolutely nothing at stake uh and that's like supported all of his numbers to to look pretty decent this year Uh, because anytime he comes in in a game that matters it seems like he walks two people or hits a guy uh or gives up a bomb or something um I don't know. It, it's frustrating. That's definitely a place where they can upgrade. And I looked into it a little bit last week or the week before. I can't remember now. Uh, there's The answers aren't at AAA. Chase and Shreve has had a really good stretch, but he still walks a lot of guys. Um, it's basically just normal Chase and Shreve. Like, you couldn't expect him to be much different than he was last year if you brought him in, which might be better than Tyler Webb, but It's not like a significant upgrade. Uh, It's not the kind of upgrade that you need to be making. Uh, Tommy Lane is doing nothing. Um, Hunter Cervenka, basically just another Tyler Webb. Uh, So the the answer is not in house. I I don't think Genesis or Genesis Cabrera is the answer for that role. Uh, I don't think Austin Gomber is, and he's hurt right now. So it's definitely something they need to go outside the organization and try to address. And San Francisco is where I'm looking if I'm them, because um, those are the best options. But like you said, that's that's an area where you can you can always find somebody, uh, and they should be able to find somebody that's better than what they have.
1: Yeah, the only uh, the only thing that. Um Webb's really got going for him is that he looks exactly like Michael C. Hall and so I don't know if you've noticed that but it's it's pretty crazy how identical they look um, but there's yeah there's quite a few um, you know I don't know I guess everyone always brings up Tim Miza from uh Toronto oh, he's got yeah. like four more years like four and a half years of control uh yeah, I don't know. There's people yeah. available. Yeah, it he's... doesn't. And like you're saying, Will Smith is, you know, at the top. Of, it got to be at the top of the list. But if they if they're able to address other parts of their team and go with just some cheap, decent lefty that can, you know, you feel fine being in there against lefties, I'm okay with that too. Just address it in
0: some way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Take some, you know, take action uh, to address those needs.
1: Uh, and then in, in San Francisco, you could bring in Bumgarner too. There you go. Two versus just, one stone. just double down. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And speaking of Bumgarner, I guess we can talk a little bit on the rotation. Um, just every time you think Michaelis is about to get on a roll, he has a bit of a clunker happen. Um, Clarity continues to frustrate with just kind of being, I don't know, uh, essentially a second year pitcher um, which he's going to take his lumps. Uh, it's, it's it's frustrating because you can see the potential. You can see how good he, he could be whenever he clicks, but unfortunately he, he still has issues sometimes. Um, and so you end up with Dakota Hudson reeling off seven straight quality starts and being your best starting pitcher over the last uh, month or so, which is just kind of weird. Um, you know kind of just kind of kind of ride that out and uh, go with it because a month ago we were calling for him to be sent to Memphis. Uh, so that's that's the way baseball goes sometimes, but uh yeah, what, what are you uh, what are you thinking about the rotation right now?
1: I mean, they they still definitely need one starter. Uh, Dakota Hudson turning into their best pitcher is definitely not something I expected. My my Twitter account's gone pretty quiet on Dakota Hudson talk, <laughs> so it's pretty well <laughs> shut me up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just there's still a clear opening for one more starter, one good starter. Um, you know, they don't have to be. Shut down ace. They just, you know, have to be. I think, I think Bumgarner is like the low end of what you can go after, though. Like he's not gonna like dominate teams very often, but he's, you know, your sixth inning quality start machine. Um, and I think that's, you know, at the very least, what they need to be aiming for. and it's it's just such an obvious need that like I, it might not even be their biggest need. It's just it's just an obvious one that they can address and need to, um, and hopefully take a little bit of pressure off the offense because it's just like I guess it's just so much easier to fix that um, that opening than it would be to upgrade the offense.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, in the short term, I mean, I'd like to see. Daniel Ponce de Leon replacing Michael Walker in the rotation because I mean reasonably what you're going to get four or five innings out of either one of them you might as well go with the guy that's going to give up two to three runs in four or five innings instead of the guy that's going to give up five Um, so and, and Walker and he's somebody I want to talk about because I looked up some numbers he needs to take some time to figure things out uh, he is just getting crushed. I mean, um, his fastball. I looked. Uh, I looked up from uh, 2013 through 18. The slugging percentage against his fastball ranged from 368 to 470. Uh, it's, you know, depending on whatever year it was. Um, this year, against his fastball, the slugging percentage is 650. So that's a uh, almost a 200 point jump from his previous career high. So that's uh, pretty huge. Um, that mostly is probably because he's lost one to two miles per hour off of his average fastball velocity. Uh, that would be my explanation for why his fastballs getting crushed. Uh, but here's a here's a Something I found even more interesting about Walker, his curveball is just a disaster this year, and this is a pitch that he throws like 13% of the time. Um, his the highest his career high in swing percentage against his curveball was in 2014. It was 488. Um, in all in the years since then, 2015 through 18, it's ranged between 233 and 371, which is pretty solid. This year, the slugging percentage against his curveball, uh, if I hope you're sitting down, is 818. <laughs> 818. Like, that's that's a good OPS. That's insane. Like, yeah. His curveball is getting roped at, for line drives at a 40% rate. Uh, it's just absolutely insane. And, and what I saw the speed is the same the break is pretty much the same but he's throwing it like six to eight inches higher in the zone on average than he than he has in the past uh, usually he would live like mid-thigh with his curveball and now he's living uh, waist high belt high uh, and i mean it's just getting demolished he's if he figures out what What's why his curveballs letting him down? Maybe he can salvage something this year. Um, I don't know. His arm slot keeps dropping, and maybe that's why his fastballs lost velocity. But um, I, I don't know. It's it's bad. I mean, you can see it in the numbers. What pitches are letting him down? And he he needs to really take some time out of the rotation to get that figured out. And it's not just some. Magical two-inning relief appearance where they go, oh well, I think he's cured. What'd you do? Nothing. I mean, that's basically what it, it, it felt like. The the reporting on that uh, him coming back into the rotation was because he had a bad relief outing, and then he had a good relief outing, and they're like, well, what'd you change? The results, like that was like there was nothing. There was nothing there. Um, I don't know. But he definitely does not need to be in the starting rotation. You know, one good start against the Marlins did not cure him. And one good relief appearance did not cure him. uh, Because the pitches are still bad. uh, And and they're still getting hit. So uh, as far as that goes, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Ponce in the rotation ahead of him. For the time being, and then see them actually address the rotation with a starting pitcher, and then you know maybe Wainwright is something, or maybe Walka figure something out down the road, or maybe Reyes becomes a factor. Uh, we'll just have to see. But they definitely do need to make a move to bring in a starting pitcher because they—it's uh, just not there. It's—it's it's just not there. Uh, and the depth that they brag about is is just not there and the, I don't know because you 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 can't really expect Ponce to be much more than a five inning pitcher that he just doesn't seem like seems like that's about all he's ever gonna give you I, I don't know maybe they just need to roll with him and see what happens but they don't really seem too keen on giving him a shot either so I don't know
1: yeah uh. With Waka, it hearing you talk about it made me just... It seems like that shoulder's catching up to him to me because um, you mentioned he was throwing from a lower arm slot and that would speak to a shoulder problem. Um, uh, Baseball Savant here is showing about a two-mile-per-hour drop on all four of his pitches since 2017. like Fastball... They have it 92.5 this year. It was at 95.1 in 2017. At 88.8 this year, it was at 90.7 in 2017. Same with the slider. Curveball is 74.9. They had it at 76.5 in 2017. So I I don't know. I mean, that's uh pretty significant, like two miles an hour across the board. I mean, and if yeah. he was thrown from a lower slot. Then that's a pretty pretty bad signal.
0: Yeah, yeah. A drop in velocity, bad location. Uh, you know, yeah. It's 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 like he um, it's like he was right uh, cause since he was losing, I mean, he was starting to decrease last year as well. But uh, it's just kind of like he crossed over the threshold between being effective and being really hittable uh, with the, the falling in velocity and so that's kind of where he is now he's just falling into this really hittable territory uh, and I don't know <clears throat> I don't know what he would have to do you know I don't know if he physically can get his arm slot back up uh, but I mean that's, that's really the only thing that's left for him is, is trying to get that mechanically right so that he can regain his velocity because it's not there and he's, he's getting absolutely crushed. Yeah. It
1: almost seems like the, an IL stint with, you know, what I don't know what's, I don't know if you strengthen the shoulder more, you know, for a month and then try to get back into throwing and hopefully can contribute out of the bullpen down the stretch or, or what, um, that that almost seems like the only way to go to me, and hope to hope to get him out there in September and see if he can force his way onto a playoff spot or something. If you you know if you're if they're that fortunate, uh, which is obviously right. up in the air right now. But um, yeah, it's that's a tough spot to be in too, especially because like you know how much Michael Walk has meant to the organization over the years. I know a lot of people don't care about that, but. Um, you know the organization's not just going to throw them away for unless they absolutely have to. So I think that almost seems like the way to go. Is to see if they can strengthen and get some of that velocity back out of the bullpen.
0: Yeah, it's definitely something that they need to look into um, because whatever they've tried hasn't worked, and you know it's not it's not helping the team at all. Uh, to just continue on the road they're on with him, uh, so hopefully, hopefully they can make make a decision that actually, you know, helps the player and helps the team, uh, and and move forward from there. Because it's it's really it's I mean it's the numbers are ugly for him, and uh, it's just it doesn't really seem to be improving. I, he had a a solid game against a a really bad Marlins team. Um, so, I mean, it, I'm not going to complain about a good a good game and a win, but uh, you know, it was it was the Marlins. So, basically, he was facing a a four A team uh, in in some regards. So. I don't know. They they they've got to they've got to start making some moves. I mean, they may not start making trades right right now, but they need to start making some personnel moves that to give them a better chance to to roll off some wins consistently. I mean, you keep throwing a walk out there, you're not setting yourself up to to reel off, you know, consecutive victories and get a get a good winning streak going, you're basically um, giving yourself a good chance to lose once every five days, uh, which isn't any way to any way to go out there. You want to give yourself the best chance to win, and I think there are even internally there are better options than him. And then eventually you need to go outside and find a really good option. Yep, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, I don't know what else we want to we want to talk about on this. Uh, I you know we got four games against the Marlins, which like I said from the beginning uh, they they need to win three of those. It'd be nice if they could sweep them. Uh, then they get the Angels coming to town. The Angels aren't that good, so hopefully they can find some wins there. The A's have been kind of hit and miss this year, uh, so hopefully they can. That's only a two game series. Where is uh, that at? That's I believe that's uh, that's in St. Louis. Okay. Um, But hopefully they can turn in a good. So it'd be a nine nine game uh, homestand. Hopefully they they can put up like a seven and two mark or something along that line. That would man that would go a long way on getting them back on the right track. Um, Because even I mean I don't know you get you get in like that five and four or five and four would be actually pretty bad Uh, but like six and three is just not quite there I mean you kind of want to get that plus five uh, on your record and and that would be really nice but we'll see they've they've got a good opportunity they're playing a lot of mediocre or bad teams Uh, so they need to they need to definitely bank some wins and get themselves right in the thick of the race
1: yeah, uh, up until the uh, – they definitely play all bad teams up until the um, All-Star break. I think Oakland's the best team they play. Or oh, maybe, and maybe yeah. Angels.
0: But. See, this is where they can – this is where they need to win games, even, even while they're maybe still flawed, a flawed team. Uh, but Bank wins regardless, and then get the issues addressed during that time. And then when you come to the end of it, you're actually a good team uh, because you fix the issues while also winning games rather than trying to fix issues while losing games, if, if that makes any sense at all. But uh, bank wins. That's that's basically what
1: Yeah, I'm looking here.
0: Bank wins and address your problems.
1: <laughs> I'm looking here. And it uh, looks like the next time they play a truly good team is July 26th. Uh, Houston comes to town. And... Everything before that is uh, teams below 500 at, yeah. at the moment. So,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, they've got to capitalize on that in a big way. They got to, they need to get them. I don't know how many games. Let's see, there are two games above 500. They probably need to come out of that 10 over, and uh, they'd be in a pretty good spot, I would think, at that point.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm thinking. They need to. Bank the wins and and address their issues all at the same time, and they'll come out of that in really good shape at the end of July if they do those things. So uh, I don't know. We've Got the big Albert Pujols reunion this weekend, so that should be um, something to something to watch. Uh, I'm
1: equally excited about Mike Trout coming to town.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, that that's not something you get to see every day. Uh, especially within, you know, the playing the late games, uh, you don't see them as often. And right. So, yeah, that's going to be pretty exciting. Um. Uh, yeah, should be should be an interesting little series. It's. I don't. I'm. I want to. i to say it's been like 15 years since the Angels came to St. Louis. I don't even remember exactly when the last time was. I
1: don't know. I
0: know Trout's never played here, so I remember the A's. I remember the A's playing here in 2004, and so that and the Cardinals played in. Did the Cardinals play in Anaheim sometime in between there? Uh, but maybe 2004 would have been the last time that the Angels came to St. Louis, so um, I'm not sure, but anyway, it's a it's a rare sighting. Uh, interleague play makes no sense because it's like it's been going on for over 20 years, and we've seen the Yankees like what maybe twice in in St. Louis, and yeah, yeah, so it just doesn't seem like. It doesn't, it, but yeah, it seems like we see the we saw the tigers for like three straight seasons, and I don't know, it's weird. But uh, anyway, I don't know. I, I'm rambling because I don't have anything more that I want to cover. So uh, you got anything?
1: <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, I guess who would who do you think would get the um, bigger ovation between pools first return and uh, the first time David freeze. Played in Bush after he left.
0: Um, I, I, I think the Pujols one's going to be pretty huge. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Freeze one, Freeze, standing out was big, but uh, we also got, you know, he was here for two more seasons after that World Series, and so if if like he would have done all that and then left and then come back. It might have been different, but I don't know. With Pujols, now it's been, you know, eight years, seven, seven, seven full seasons. Um, so basically seven and a half years. Uh, now that the I think the uh, everybody's gotten over him leaving, uh, I think it'll just be a big – it'll be a pretty big ovation. I mean, he's arguably – the best hitter they've ever had. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's definitely not it's definitely not going to be a small affair. I, I think uh, Dan made the joke that you might see Gotti or Molina walk all the way out to center field and, <laughs> on uh, Friday night in order to give give the crowd time. I wonder if they'll stop the game and have like a video or something. Oh, I that'd kind of be kind of
1: weird. But... Yeah, they've done it for. Things before though, like I guess it's usually when milestones are hit, like, like a 500th home run. They do that.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't know. He... they do. I'm sure they're going to have something planned.
0: Yeah. The, yeah. They, they they pretty much have to. But uh, yeah, it would be something to keep an eye on. See what see what goes on. See what they do. How they how they decide to celebrate it. But uh, I don't know. That's, uh, it's, uh, still a flawed team, but, uh, at least we've been seeing a few wins to yep. finish up the week going into this podcast. Unlike the, the last few episodes we did that were pretty much terrible right before, uh, we, we went into record. So, um, a little bit more positivity, but still a lot of things that need to be fixed. So we'll just, uh. Keep watching and uh, keep doing commentary on on the baseball team, because that's what we do. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's pretty much all I got.
0: All right, then. We'll uh, shut her down. This has been another episode of the Bird Law Podcast. You can find episodes of this podcast on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. You can find our writing in the Cardinals section of thesportsdaily.com. You can find links to our writing and to episodes of this podcast by following us on Twitter at Pod. You can also follow us individually at He's Very Good and at Landstance One. For Adam Butler, this is Rusty Groffel. See you next time.